Good evening. America sends troops to Germany. The de Blasio administration says no more J&J vaccine, as the CDC says. Six cases of thrombosis have put the use of the vaccine in question. While the trial continues in Minneapolis and protesters hit the streets in Brooklyn Center. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. A conservative businessman has unexpectedly won Ecuador's presidential election as voters rejected the leftist movement started by the former president, Rafael Correa, more than a decade ago. Preliminary results show that Guillermo Lasso took 52 percent of the vote in the running runoff, pitting free market economics against the social welfare plans of Andres Arauz, an economist. Arauz promptly called Lasso to congratulate him. Arauz was backed by Correa who governed from 2007 to 2017 and was an ally of Cuba's Fidel Castro and Venezuela's Hugo Chavez. Lasso, who's 65, takes office on May 24th and will have to find ways to kickstart the stalled economy and deal with the devastating toll of the coronavirus pandemic. And Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga said on Tuesday that his government has decided to discharge contaminated radioactive wastewater in Fukushima Prefecture into the sea, despite domestic and international opposition. The Fukushima Daiichi nuclear site has been generating massive amounts of radioactive water since the 2011 earthquake and tsunami damaged some of the six then-operating reactors, causing several to have core meltdowns. The plant's operator, Tokyo Electric Power Company Holdings Incorporated, TEPCO, said it will take around two years for the release to start. The plan faces opposition from the public and the fishing industry. Meanwhile, South Korea on Monday voiced grave concerns if radioactive water stored on tanks at Fukushima are released into the sea. And it's being reported that President Joe Biden has decided to withdraw military forces from Afghanistan by September 11th, 2021, the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Biden is expected to announce his decision tomorrow. Reportedly, the administration believed al-Qaeda no longer possesses the capability of attacking the United States. The U.S. went into Afghanistan after the 9-11 attack in a fruitless search for al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden and stayed in what's become the longest ground war in U.S. history. In related news, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin met with his German counterpart to announce an increase in U.S. troops to be stationed in Germany. Today, I'm happy to announce that we will be be increasing the U.S. force presence in Germany. In keeping with my pledge to consult with allies and partners today, I briefed the minister on our intention to permanently station approximately 500 additional U.S. personnel in the Wiesbaden area as early as this fall. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, there are currently 35,000 U.S. troops in Germany. They've been there since 1945. And fallen Capitol Police officer William Billy Evans was eulogized at a memorial service in the Capitol Rotunda today. That was attended by top generals, politicians and President Biden. Officer Evans's flag-draped casket rested at the same location as President Abraham Lincoln in 1865 as a Marine Quartet sang. When tears are in your eyes.
president told the officer's widow that I have some idea what you're feeling like. And then, as the president often does, he read some lines of poetry by 19th century American poet Robert Ingersoll. The American lines, the American poet, uh, the same lines, pardon me, read at the death of Biden's son in 2015. There's a great quote by R.G. Ingersoll. It was read when my son who was the chief law enforcement officer in the state of Delaware, the attorney general, came back from Iraq after a year and he, and he died. And they read this poem from R.G. Ingersoll, who said, when will defies fear, when duty throws the gauntlet down to fate, when honor scorns compromise with death, this is heroism. Your son, your husband, your brother, your dad was a hero. And he's part of you. It's in your blood. My prayer for you is that moment of a smile comes before the tear, quicker than longer. Thank you. Evans, an 18-year veteran of the force, was killed earlier this month in an apparent attack on the Capitol when a driver rammed a vehicle into him and another officer at a barricade outside the building. The ceremony came after members of Congress also paid tribute in February to Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died as a result of the January 6th insurrection by supporters of former President Donald Trump. And today, the Centers for Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration recommended a pause in use of the single-dose Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. The agencies say they're investigating unusual blood clots in six women between the ages of 18 and 48. One person died. The FDA commissioner expected the pause to last for a matter of days, but the recommendation triggered action in Europe and here in New York City, where there have been no reports of adverse reactions to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The clots, which happened 6 to 13 days after vaccination in veins that drain blood from the brain, occurred together with low platelets, the fragments in blood that normally form clots. More than 6.8 million doses of the J&J &J vaccine have been given in the U.S., the vast majority with no or mild side effects. New York swiftly joined the pause. Mayor Bill de Blasio, who has administered the same vaccine himself, made the announcement. I said we have a mix of good news and bad news. This one is definitely in the bad news category. We have breaking news this morning. From uh, the FDA and the CDC recommending uh, a, a halt to the use of the Johnson Johnson vaccine. The information so far, and our doctors will certainly speak more about it later on, but that there have been a few instances of blood clots. Apparently, these are very rare in the scheme of things, six cases out of seven million shots given. But out of abundance of caution, the federal authorities are calling for a pause for a full investigation to be done. I want to give you the, the facts from this city. So far, there's been 234,000 doses of a Johnson Johnson vaccine given, and thank God, no reports at all to date of uh, any blood clots. But we take this very seriously. Federal government has called for a cautious approach here. We are acting on that immediately. 
And that's Mayor de Blasio. The state health department, New York State Health Department, says all Johnson & Johnson appointments for today at state-run mass vaccination sites will be honored with the Pfizer vaccine, including clinics on SUNY campuses throughout the state. Due to a factory mishap last week, New York already was facing an 88% drop in deliveries of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. At a news conference earlier today, Chief COVID Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci said the bad reactions are less than one in a million, while vaccinations with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine are being paused out of an abundance of caution. People say, what does a pause mean? It really allows both the FDA and the CDC to further investigate these cases to try and understand uh, some of the mechanisms of what it is, some more details about the history of the individuals who are involved that might shed some light on looking forward, what will happen and what we will do. That's the first thing. The other thing is to make physicians out there aware of this. And there are some clinical implications of that that I believe are important. For example, if someone comes in with this really rather rare syndrome of thrombotic thrombocytopenia where you get thromboses. And when you have thromboses, the most uh, common way to treat that is with heparin. That would be a mistake in this situation because it could be dangerous and make the situation much worse. And that is Dr. Fauci. Meanwhile, at the World Health Organization's Geneva headquarters, Director General Tedros Adnam says the pandemic is a long way from over. He blamed confusion and complacency. We have now seen seven consecutive weeks of increasing cases and four weeks of increasing deaths. Last week was the fourth highest number of cases in a single week so far. Several countries in Asia and the Middle East have seen large increases in cases. This is despite the fact that more than 780 million doses of vaccine have now been administered globally. World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adnam and musicians from around the world are rolling up their sleeves for a concert organized by the advocacy organization Global Citizen, aiming to inspire vaccine confidence worldwide and help get the COVID-19 vaccines into more arms. The concert will be live streamed on Saturday, May 8th, and performers include Jennifer Lopez, Eddie Vedder, the Foo Fighters and others, and it'll be hosted by Selena Gomez. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The Brooklyn Center Minnesota police chief and the officer who fatally shot Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man killed during a traffic stop on Sunday, have both tendered their resignations. Mayor Mike Elliott told reporters they resigned after the Brooklyn Center City Council passed a resolution to dismiss both Chief Tim Gannon and the officer who shot Wright, Kim Potter, a 26-year veteran of the police force. The moves followed two nights of protests in the city of 30,000 people just miles from Minneapolis. Wright was shot on Sunday after he pulled over what police said was an expired car registration. These events are occurring as less than 10 miles away. Jurors continue to hear testimony in the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who's been charged in the killing of George Floyd by holding a knee on the black man's neck for nine and a half minutes, keeping Floyd pinned for a full three minutes after doctors testified Floyd had already died. Floyd's family turned out at the news conference to join Dante Wright's family. Attorney Ben Crump made the connection. Unbelievable 
I mean, it is just something I could not fathom that in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a suburb 10 miles from where the Chauvin trial regarding George Floyd was taking place that a police officer will shoot and kill another unarmed black man. Listen. It, it's something that if you told me and I didn't see little Dante's face and his mother, grandmother crying, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, civil rights attorney Ben Crump and then Dante Wright's mother, Katie Wright, spoke. We have his mother. He called and said he just got pulled over by the police. And then he said that, um, I said, well, why did you get pulled over? And he said, because I had air fresheners hanging in the rearview mirror. I said, okay, we'll take them down. He said he also, um, the police officers were asking about insurance. And I said, okay, when the police officer comes back to the window, put him on the phone and I can give him all of our insurance information. A second goes by and I hear the police officer come back up to the window and ask Dante to get out of the car. Dante asked for what? Police officer said, because you know, I'll explain to you when you get out of the car. He said, am I in trouble? He said, we'll explain all that when you step out of the car. Dante, and then they asked him to put the phone down. Dante put the phone down. I heard some scruffling. He got out of the car and I could hear the police officers um, and scruffling with him. Take your time. <laughs> we with you. We love you, sis. Then the, I heard the police officer asked them to hang up the phone. They hung up the phone. Three or four seconds went by. I tried calling it back to back to back. I didn't know what was going on. And I never imagined this is what was going to happen. I just thought maybe he was being arrested. And then when I called back, the girl that he had in the car answered the phone. And it was a, on a FaceTime. And she said, she was crying and screaming. And she said that they shot him. And she pointed the phone towards the driver's seat and my son was laying there unresponsive. My love. That was the last time that I seen my son. That's the last time I heard from my son and I have had no explanation since then. Dante Wright's mother, Katie Wright. But the lesson seemed to have been missed at the courtroom where Derek Chauvin uh the courtroom where Derek Chauvin is facing trial uh, for murder, the murder of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020. There, the defense began its case today, taking the stand of Chauvin's murder trial. Barry Broad, a former Santa Rosa, California officer who stoutly defended Chauvin's actions, even as prosecutors pounded away at the witness during a podium banging cross-examination. Broad said at one point, it's easy to sit and judge an officer's conduct. It's more of a challenge to gain, again, put yourself in the officer's shoes, he said, to try to make an evaluation through what they're feeling, what they're sensing, the fear they have, and then make a determination. And in more New York State news, the Assembly and Senate passed the HALT Act, the Humane Alternatives to Long-Term Solitary Confinement Act. It was then signed into law by the governor on April 1st. Today, a jail's oversight body held a hearing on proposed changes to solitary, but family members and justice advocates say the changes don't go far enough to stop the torture of solitary. Linda Perry reports. 
At a New York City Board of Corrections hearing on changes to punitive segregation in jails, many who testified say rule changes to restrictive housing don't really do much to end the inhumane practice of solitary. Scott Paltrowitz with the Halt Solitary campaign says the harm of solitary comes from the lack of human interaction and meaningful programs being offered. He says that's what causes people to cut themselves, to bang their heads against the wall. It causes people to start fires, to do anything they can to get out of solitary. Yet after massive public outcry over the death of Laylene Polanco, following the deaths of Khalif Browder and Jason Echeverria and Bradley Ballard and so many other people, after the mayor of the city of New York and this board promised to fully end solitary confinement, after months of delay, after nearly a decade of the board purportedly studying methods for actually addressing violence, This is the solution proposed. Move a person from the cell where they sleep to a slightly larger connected cell. Call it out of cell time. Call it an alternative, but leave them there alone 24 hours a day indefinitely. This is not ending solitary confinement. This is creating a new form of solitary confinement by another name. Paltrowitz says a rule needs to be adopted which truly ends solitary. Olga Delgado agrees her 19-year-old son was in solitary for a year. She says people must be treated as human beings and have the opportunity to interact with others. She says the city shouldn't construct more punitive and isolated units. People should have out-of-cell time in large spaces and access to their own legal advisors. My son, Ricardo Delgado, was in Rikers too and a half years and at that time one year he was in the box with handcuffs attached to the desk and when he came out was because I came to visit him two or three times a week so he could come out and see people we saw each other with a thick glass could not hear him when he spoke on Mother's Day could not hug or kiss him He really needed me at that time, and that was really damaging him. He was only 19 years old. He was going crazy, talking to a little ant or roach that was in the cell. He was still developing his brain, but started a torture at a very young age. He was hearing voices when he came home. It was torture. They also used excessive force on one of my son's friends. They broke his fingers while he was in handcuffs. Delgado says the Board of Correction should start new programs to educate young people with schooling and jobs and stop torturing them. Another concern is access to attorneys for those inside. Most of the people incarcerated at Rikers are pre-trial detainees. They've not been found guilty of committing any crime, but they are treated as if they are criminals, according to many who spoke at the DOC hearing. Sergio de la Pava is the legal director at New York County Defenders Services. He says clients inside Rikers don't receive due process. There is no access to counsel either under the current rules or under this new rule. Um, to, to go to Rikers Island pre-pandemic or to have a video conference set up or to have a court date where your client is expected to appear, um, but then be told that um, because your client is in some kind of segregation, somehow the process has been interfered with and you will not be having access to your client. And that becoming the first time 
um, that you hear about this, or more often a family member reaching out saying um, your client feels they were dealt with unfairly and they are now in in segregated housing, a solitary confinement with all the harm that that entails. De La Pava wants access to counsel built into new rules. Darlene McDay wants corrections officers who commit offenses to be held accountable. She tells of how her son Dante Taylor was assaulted and brutalized while incarcerated in a facility outside of Buffalo. The 22-year-old committed suicide. McDay says corrections officers who brutalized her son are permitted to continue to be on the job. These officers are allowed to be fired technically by the DOC and then appeal and then keep their job after the investigation showed what they did to my son. It is incredible that this is a system that we're working with. And that's why it's even more imperative that we make these rules so tight that they cannot get away with this. Lucia Alonzo works with Women's Community Justice Association. It advocates for justice-impacted women, trans, and non-gender-conforming people. Alonzo says the DOC new rules claim to end solitary but continue to perpetuate the same system. That 10 hours out of cell in an isolated area doesn't really change much. It means people would still be caged in a cell for 14 hours a day. Imagine being caged as a person who menstruates. As we speak, there are people sitting in solitary without any access to hygiene products. People who menstruate only receive a small supply of hygiene products. So if someone bleeds heavily or has a medical condition such as endometriosis, they are forced to sit in their own blood. And when they get their DOC clothes dirty, they'll be punished for damaging the facility's property. Imagine your loved one who menstruates being forced to sit in a cage with no one helping them. This is what happens on a daily basis inside your jails and prisons throughout New York, and it will continue if you do not fully end solitary confinement. These proposed rules perpetuate some of the worst parts of solitary, including allowing people to be chained and shackled. Isolation is torture. It is inhumane. It is harmful. It does not stop cycles of violence. It does not heal, nor does it correct. Family members and justice advocates agree that solitary must be actually ended in a meaningful way, not just shifted into a new form. Survivors and family members urge the Board of Correction to amend its proposed rules to ensure New York City fully ends solitary in all its forms. They also urge the City Council to act since the Mayor and the Corrections Board have failed to end solitary. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Linda. And on Wednesday, Virginia voted to move up the legalization date of recreational marijuana to Virgi- in Virginia to July 1st, 2021. Initially, the legalization date was set for January 1st, 2024. However, Governor Ralph Northam added amendments to existing bills to fast track the legalization. When proposing the accelerated timeline, Northam said that many Virginians would be on board with speeding up the legalization project. As of July 1st, adults in Virginia can possess up to one ounce of marijuana and grow up to four marijuana plants per household. The sale of marijuana in the state is still delayed until 2024. Virginians can grow marijuana, gift it in private, or have an ounce or less in their possession if they're over the age of 21. However, they can't sell it or purchase it, and driving with it is illegal. A delegate of the Virginia House of Burgesses involved in drafting the bill is Ibrahim Samira. He spoke with WBAI. 
People are allowed to hold up to an ounce of marijuana without any wrongdoing by law. Uh, they are allowed to have four plants at home to grow their own, and it would take effect in July of this year. The initial bill was to legalize it starting in 2024, but a few strong progressives in the state legislature, including myself, did not vote for the initial passage of the bill and threatened to vote against the bill because it had criminal code and it was to start in 2024 from which the governor sent back some amendments that we approved right away that would make move up the date to this year and remove a bunch of criminal code that was baked into there to make it a, a, as close as possible to a full legalization. Tell us a little bit about the history of this bill, how it got introduced and the changes that you were just describing, how they happened and how you got around all those changes. Why did they change all those things? There was an attempt to appeal to the center of the party in the beginning, and the center of the party was showing signs in both the Senate and the House that they were not going to vote for the bill, whether it had good amendments or not, for their purposes. To my purposes, strong progressives out there, those amendments would have killed the bill for us. We pushed our votes compared to the centrist votes and said, we have what it takes to pass this bill, but you have to, this is at the end of the day, all about justice. We're trying to create justice reform for our black and brown individuals out there in Virginia that have been criminalized by possession of marijuana. And we want to reverse that. And we want to make sure that that money that comes in from tax revenue goes towards, first and foremost, as a form of reparation for the harms that the government has caused them and their families over the many, many years of criminalization. How is it that you're using the monies from marijuana in the future to help people? Well, I think it's still a fight. Uh, We're not done with it. There's been all sorts of projections as to how much money can be coming in. Furthermore, how do you divvy it out in a way that is transforms the way we look at paying back people that have been hurt by criminalization of marijuana? How will people get their marijuana legally? Will it be available at storefronts, at certain locations? How will it be done? We currently will not have any storefronts until the 2024 deadline that we had earlier because that requires a process of creating structures to accommodate businesses that would sell marijuana recreationally. Medicinal marijuana is available right now. Anybody can get a card and go buy, of course. But besides that, recreationally, how that would be happening is that people can give each other from the marijuana that they have under that ounce without any problem in the eyes of the law, as long as it's not sold. It's bringing out the black market into the open, but in a way also to control the finances still is illegal to sell marijuana up until 2024 when we have regulated structures where the state can actually pay attention to who's selling what. How are the police taking this, the law enforcement officials? (laughs) Well, certainly they have a lot of cultural attitudes of the past, the old South. We're trying to show them what the new South looks like. They're having to learn really quickly, but it's part of Virginia growing into a more mature, more progressive state, one that they should have expected a long time ago happening, but was delayed. We're just catching them up with the times. There's a lot of movement within the corporate industry to try to see how they can fit themselves in there. And of course, we're trying to make sure as much as possible that locals have as much economic benefit as possible, that they be able to grow themselves in a vertically integrated system so that they can reap some benefits from legalization as well. Ibrahim Samira is a delegate with the Virginia House of Burgesses. Marijuana was legalized in New York earlier this month. And finally, leaders of Volcano Racked St. Vincent said today water is running short as heavy ash contaminates supplies, and they estimated that the eastern Caribbean island will need hundreds of millions of dollars to recover from the eruption of La Soufrière. Between 16,000 to 20,000 people have been evacuated from the island's northern region, where the exploding volcano is located, with more than 3,000 of them staying at more than 80 government shelters. 
And that's some of the news for Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. The news was produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for joining us.